Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who is considered by many fans to have been one of the best quarterbacks during the late 1960s and early 70s. He was a second overall pick in the 1962 NFL Draft, played for the Los Angeles Rams for 11 seasons, then five seasons for the Philadelphia Eagles. He is a two-time All-American, two-time ACC Player of the Year. He finished his college career holding virtually every Wolfpack passing record. An academic All-American, he saw his jersey retired after his senior year. In his NFL career, he had a winning record of 86-6. and Sixty-four-seven, the ties and passed for over 29,000 yards and 201 touchdowns. He is the only quarterback from his era to still rank in the lowest interception percentage category in NFL passing statistics. It is a thrill to welcome the 1969 NFL's most valuable player, Roman Gabriel, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Roman. Well, thank you, E.G. That was a nice interview. I appreciate it. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You know, again, I watched, you know, that was my era of the NFL, and there were just so many great quarterbacks, and you were one of the greatest in that era. I've seen you interviewed so many times, and you, you always stated that your dad was your hero, and you always try to be like him. And one of the things that comes through when you talk about him is the pride in which you talk about how hard he worked. How important of a foundation as an athlete and a man was the time you spent with your dad? Well, the time that I got to spend with my father certainly rubbed off on me because of all the things that I've been able to accomplish in my life. It's not necessary for natural ability, but, you know, you're very fortunate. Some people can line up and do things naturally. Well, I was privileged to have a father that did things by desire, and desire relates to hard work. And and also my other guy would be my high school coach, Leon Brockton. God bless his soul, passed away. He also said that winning and losing are not the most important things, but enjoying to prepare to be the best you can. So that, to me, is desire. And as long as you have fun and doing what you're doing, look out. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you mentioned him as one of your major influences uh, at Hanover High School. Um, he also coached Sonny Jorgensen, another great quarterback from mine era. Uh, oh, the greatest throw of the football ever. Yeah, he, you know, the, but Coach Brogan had this to say about you. Uh, he said he was a very dedicated athlete and student. He was a leader in every sport he played, an extremely hard worker, great competitor, a winner. Counting state and conference championships, he was part of 11 uh, championship teams. He also played defensive halfback in Hanover as well. All that led to him having about 50 offers to choose from when it came to college. So with 50 offers on the table, what was it that appealed to you that NC State was the place to go? Well, not only the chance to get a super education, which most all the things that I've been able to do uh, work-wise have been because of my graduation from NC State. And also, I, being a Catholic, I thought about Notre Dame, but it was just too far to thumb. <laughs> and NC State, from where I live now, is only 120 miles away, so that wasn't a bad round trip with the thumb. 
<laughs> so at NC State, you're a two-time All-American, two-time ACC Player of the Year, 1916-61. You finished your college career holding virtually every single Wolfpack passing record, which we said included nine conference uh, football records. You threw for 2,961 yards, 19 touchdowns, uh, academic All-American. Your jersey is retired after your sen- senior year. It's presented to you at a North, by North Carolina Governor Terry Sanford in um, right. 1962 at halftime of an NC State-Maryland basketball game in the Reynolds Coliseum. That's, for me, as a 22-year-old, I- I'm trying to comprehend what that must have been like as a 22-year-old. 21-year-old. 21-year-old, okay. So, yeah, it only took me four years to get out of school, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, take us back to that day as a 21-year-old. What did it mean to have your jersey retired in an arena full of NC State fans by the governor? Well, amazing that you brought that story up, E.J., because when I first visited NC State, they had come to my house with because I played all three sports. They had the basketball coach, the freshman basketball coach, the defensive coordinator, which you had mentioned I played defense, and the uh, head baseball coach. They'd all come to my house. And then when I went up to visit, I had heard all about Reynolds Coliseum because at that time it was probably one of the largest basketball arenas in the country, if not the South. So I got to watch basketball several days and visit some of the guys that I knew up there. When I went home, I said, you know, they got what I need education-wise. And, uh, basketball, they said, well, the football field, I said, no, if the doggone basketball arena looks like that, the football field must be nice, too. <laughs> and as you're probably well aware, we played our games at Riddick Stadium, which I think uh, had a capacity of about 15,000. Right. But to ask you a question, when I think back, for a 21-year-old to be awarded uh, his his jersey, retired retired. jersey yeah. uh, by the governor, Terry Sanford. Yeah. It was one of the highlights of my life. So let's correct things first. That's actually Mark who's been asking the question so far. Roman, This is AJ now. I have a question as we come up to the NFL draft. And you were picked number one in the draft by the AFL Oakland Raiders and number two by the Los Angeles Rams. Let's talk a little bit for our, our, our listeners now. See, this year it's a quarterback-rich draft. They have the combine. They have pro days. What happened back in those days? Was there anything like that? Did you have any inkling? Or how did you know you were going to be number one or, or number two in either one of the drafts? Well, I, back in those days, they didn't really tell you where you're going to be. But what they did was they sent the great Tom Pierce, who was one of the all-time great receivers, who at that time worked for the Rams. Uh, he came in and watched me throw, and then we played handball, and I was, I was pretty decent handball. But he was an expert, and they saw that I had movement and that I was fairly smart because I was lucky to be a scholastic All-American at NC State. And then when they signed me, they sat down, and the great Elroy Hershey was the general manager at the time. And, and the Oakland Raiders had offered me 12500 and a $2,500 bonus, whereas the Rams offered me 15000 or $5,000 bonus. And, and my head coach, Earl Edwards, who was also one of the great influences in my life. He says, well, we know for sure that the L.A. Rams are in the NFC and they've been around for a while. We're not too sure about Oakland. Plus, the Rams are offering you a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, just think, you can give me a couple thousand for a scholarship. I said, well, Coach, you got it. <laughs> 
You know, it's interesting because early in your career, from 62 through 65, the Rams coaches gave Zeke Barkowski and Bill Munson the start over you. However, due to the other quarterbacks either slumping or being injured, you did get to start 23 games in that three-year period. The Rams' record in the games that you played were 11 wins, 11 losses, and one tie. The other Rams quarterbacks who started those other 33 games, combined record was Four wins, 27 losses, and two ties. Some of your big wins included a 1965 you know, victory over the eventual you know, champion Green Bay Packers and a win over, at that point, 11-3 and three Browns, maybe the last time the Browns were really relevant. Um, how tough was it for you, looking at that record and then looking at those other guys and their record, somehow not getting the nod to be the starter? Well, I felt for Zeke Burkowski. Zeke was a great guy. And also, Zeke was a heck of a quarterback, but when I first came to the Rams, they were trying to build an offensive line, and, and Zeke never had a chance. But as you're well aware, he ended up being traded to Green Bay where he was able to back up Bart Starr and play there. And so I would never say anything about, about, about Zeke. And also, you, you missed Terry Baker, who was there. He, oh, that's right. he became the starter my uh, second yeah. year, uh, months in my third year. And Munson was a heck of a quarterback. He had a fine career with the Detroit Lions. Lions. Yep. But they made me because I was, uh, at that time, they called me one of the biggest quarterbacks ever. So I was not only a third quarterback and sometimes a second, I was also a backup tight end and a backup wide receiver. But for all those young kids out there, just a note, if that happens to you, make the best of it. Because what I learned when I was running routes is what, the quarterback would expect out of receivers and, and pro ball. So when I got my chance to play, I had an idea what the guys were going to do. And, and you mentioned for you young listeners, for your young listeners that never saw him play, think Cam Newton, but in an era where everyone else was Doug Flutie, basically. Um, <laughs> that's the best way I could put it. Um, everything seemed to change for you when George Allen became the head coach of the Rams in 1966. It should be also noted that this is George Allen's first head coaching job. One of his first moves was to make you the number one starter. What was the impact that George Allen, future Hall of Fame coach George Allen, had on your career? Well, he came to my house because at that time I was negotiating to leave the Rams to go to the Raiders, and he came to my house and he remembered that Against the Bears, I I came in off the bench in the second half and threw for almost 300 yards against his defense, and <laughs> he swore to me that if I could, if I was the best, that I would be the quarterback. And then he said to me, he "says Well, you know, plus from what I read about you and what I know about you, you, you don't want people here in LA to think that you're not good enough to play here. So you know, if you leave here, they're gonna think that." And I've always, I've never was about the money issue, so I trusted Coach Allen, and then when he brought in Ted Marchabroder, Ted Marchabroder probably taught me more football than anybody that I've ever been around. Really? In what ways? In the uh, reading defense, especially, and, and, and how to break down film. Interesting, because Ted Marshall Broda, you know, gets a lot of credit, but not maybe, you know, you're the first person that I've ever really heard say that taught you so much, especially from a quarterback. That's very interesting. Do you, th- do you feel that Ted gets the, the credit that he deserves in, you know, from that era of what he was able to accomplish? Oh, yeah, because see, what people tend to forget, you remember, Ted was the, the, the guy that built that offense 
when Jim Kelly came to the Buffalo Bills, those four Super Bowls, Ted Marchabrota was the, the guy. And then uh, Vinny Testaverde, when Testaverde went to the Baltimore Colts when Ted was there, Testaverde had his best year ever. And then when uh, Jim Harbaugh was the play, was with the Indianapolis Colts and Ted was there, Harbaugh had his best year ever. I mean, all you got to do is look at Ted's history and, and the things he accomplished. And look what he did with Billy Kilmer with the Redskins. <laughs> oh, Billy Kilmer. I, I, I love the Tough way Billy. Guy, Billy. Do, you know, do you know Billy? I remember Billy Kilmer. I, I remember Billy Kilmer actually from the uh, the Saints, and I remember the, the what they used to call the wounded duck, the way he used to pass. Right. The, the not, 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 not a bullet. Not a bullet by any not means. A bullet. Yeah. So. Well, I'll tell you whether he was tough as nails. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Now, you know, you started all 14 games that year, and the Rams went 8-6, and six, their first winning season since 1958. Next season, the Rams go 11-1-2, made the playoffs as the NFL Coastal Division champs. Haven't been able to say that in a long time. You're named the AP Offensive Player of the Week the last two weeks of the season. In Week 13, needing a win to keep the playoff hopes alive. You go 20-36, for three touchdowns, including the game winner in the last minute. 27-24 comeback win over the defending champion Green Bay Packers. The next week in a game against the Colts that would decide the division title, you complete 18 of 22 passes, again three touchdowns. Rams won 34-10. 67 Rams finished as the highest scoring team in the NFL. You guys were eliminated by the Packers. You threw for 2,779 yards, 25 touchdowns that season. Second team all pro, pro bowler. You know, that that year was the year that everyone realized Roman Gabriel has arrived. What did that season mean for your confidence going forward? And like you said, when George says, you know, you want to make it here, what does being able to do that in that marketplace in clutch games mean for a player? Well, we always played the shadow of our great defense because we had one of the best in the league. And then to be able to have to win the last two games of the year in 67, to even get to the playoffs and to beat two of the best teams in football, it meant a lot because that just meant that we, on the offensive side, we could play with anybody. In fact, to me, the 67 season was even better than our 69 season. Yep. That season, obviously, as I mentioned, is a springboard for your career. 69, the Rams opened the season with an 11-game winning streak, still a, a team record. For the season, you threw for 24 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. You're named the NFL's most valuable player by APN NEA, the player of the year by the UPI, and was voted All-Pro into the Pro Bowl. It's interesting to note, and you mentioned him before, that your fellow Hanover High alum, Sonny Jurgensen, was one of the runner-ups that year. Looking back at your career, what did that MVP award mean to you? Well, it just showed that how no individual really stands out unless you've got great people around you. And as I mentioned earlier, we still had that great defense, and, and our offensive line had arrived, and, and we had receivers like Jack Snow. Nobody could come across the middle, <laughs> middle like Jack Snow. And uh, Billy Truex it was a clutch tight end, Marlon McKeever. Uh, Dick Bass, who people tend to forget, was maybe in my mind one of the pound for pound as great a running back as anybody's ever played the game. So it just showed me that if everybody's playing together as a team and pulling for one another, you can accomplish anything. You know, it's so interesting, because whether it be sports talk radio or whether it's been be a bunch of guys at a bar talking sports, 
It always Did you could... say bar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It said bar. That was after the game. <laughs> but the conversation always comes around to legacies and championships. You look back at those three years from 67 to 69, the Rams were 32-6-3, and only to see the Jets, Packers, and Chiefs win their Super Bowl. So, you know, and, and we're, we're going to probably talk about this a little later in, in hockey with Henrik Lundqvist, the, the record he's been able to compile. But when you look at, back at that and your legacy, is it one of frustration that you guys didn't win the Super Bowl, or is it more pride that say, you know what, because of me and because of the guys on this team, we overachieved and put ourselves in a position to be considered one of the contenders for the Super Bowl. Which of those two feelings come through when you look back at that three-year span? Well, you nailed it because uh, uh, one of my favorite people and the guy that was a backup receiver and a kicker probably could have started receiver if we weren't afraid to get hurt. A guy from Alabama named David Ray, he once told the newspapers because people mentioned that same question. He says, look, no matter what you say, where would we be without Roman? We wouldn't be as far as we were. And the way I like I always said, too, is where would we have been if it wasn't David Ray making field goals? So it, that means, it means a heck of a lot to know that uh, what little bit you got done, you got done with guys you'd love to play with. We're talking and we probably, and the thing that guys today miss to me, we had more fun getting together as groups of players during the week just to prepare ourselves to have more fun to play the game. Because we, we knew everybody in there, knew everybody. Personally. It's interesting you mention that, and we're, we're talking to Roman Gabriel, NFL great, because uh, Keith Hernandez, and it's a baseball reference, but mentioned this the other day. that Oh, that, yeah, the great New York man. I met Keith. Yeah. He's a heck of a guy. Right. So he mentioned that back in the day, after a game, the guys would go in the clubhouse, and they, they'd sit for probably one to two hours after the game and talk about the game. He said, nowadays, players go into the locker room, and they get changed, they sit down, they take out their iPhone or their Android phone, and they're on their apps, and they're talking and, and texting and Instagramming, and there's no, there's no connection between the teams. Do you think that, you know, that somehow has an effect on the way teams perform, that if maybe one coach said, listen, no cell phones in the locker room, you know, put them in your car, wait till after you go home to do that. Do you think that that might have some effect on a team bond? Well, you know, I've, of course, people would accuse me of being old school, but I agree with you 100%. I, I really think that. And one of the things that we had in our locker room that Coach Allen brought with him is to celebrate after victory. Appreciate what you got, because if you start flaunting it in people's faces, the next time you play them, they'll make it harder to win. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, injuries eventually, as they do to all quarterbacks, begin to take their toll on you. 72, your knee and shoulder injuries get the best of you. After making 89 consecutive starts over eight seasons, and, and lots of those played, I'm sure, in a lot of pain, you missed two games, lost playing time in 12 others. How tough of a season was that when you, you start feeling you know, the, the cumulative effects of being an NFL quarterback? Well, you start taking uh, cortisone shots so that you won't feel the pain until after, until the next day. I know there was one time where I had uh, I had my right arm operated on, and and the, the gentleman who operated on the arm he, he operated on the wrong side of my arm. Oh. So just before training camp, I had to have it redone. 
And then it got where I could hardly bend my arm and throw a football because it hurt so much. So a friend of mine who also became the uh, strength and flexibility and martial arts coach with the Philadelphia Phillies, I met him, and he introduced me to an acupuncturist. Now, this goes back in the late 60s, and I recommend it because even to this day, once every two weeks I take acupuncture for my arthritis. But if it wasn't for the arthritis, for the acupuncture treatments, I never would have got through the year. And you do make it back. You trade it to the Eagles. and well, let's, you let's, take, let's, stop, let's stop for a second before we get to the trade to the Eagles. So it's AJ again. So we come to the end of the season, and the Rams decide to move in another direction. They actually bring in, they trade for John Hadel, who was drafted yeah, in the friend. same draft as, as you. Johnny was a great guy, great quarterback. So we come, so sort of the handwriting's on the wall. They're moving in a different direction. And at this point, after the season, you get an offer from a team called the Las Vegas Casinos of something yeah, called right. the Southwestern Football League. Now, I have to admit, I tried to do some research on the Southwestern Football League, Las Vegas Casinos. All I could find was a sentence or two. So what <laughs> can you tell us about the league and the offer? Well, that was a ploy by a, a guy who was my attorney at the time uh, just to force the Rams to do it because they'd already told me I wouldn't be the starter, but they might bring me back and I just figured, what the heck, I should be at least challenged with the starting job as long as with all the stuff that I'd given to them. So because of that move, they did trade me to the, to the Eagles. So you get, you get there, and once again, you've got a rookie coach. You've got Mike McCormick as the coach. But you're a, a team that was 2-11 two and two one and prior. And it's a very young team, and you're basically the, the veteran presence you brought in. How different was that? in that situation for you as the veteran quarterback with a young team than what happened when you were with the Rams? Well, that was one of the most fun years I ever had because everything under Coach Allen, don't get me wrong, I respect Coach Allen immensely. He, he, he was one of the best that I've ever played for. But everything was strict business. You didn't smile, you didn't laugh, you didn't speak in the locker room hardly. And when I went to Philly, they played music during the day and even before games, and, and we prepared and had fun. So that goes back to what my high school said. High school coach said, "It's not whether you win or lose; it's how much you enjoy preparing to get the job done. So if you enjoy what you do, you will win." And we did win some games. And in the, in the course of winning those games, you win the comeback player of the year by Pro Football Weekly. How and I'd never been anywhere. <laughs> right, yeah, well, right. that's what I'm saying. There's a certain award in, in hockey, the Masterson Trophy, and you know, guys that are up for that trophy, lots of them have gone through some pretty bad things. So, like when people ask, you know, what does it mean to you? They go, well, it's not the award you really want to win because it means right. something's happened that you're up for it. But how gratifying is that, though, when you win that award? Saying, you know, coming back from the injury. Getting traded to a team that was two and eleven, getting them to five and eight in respectability, and winning that award. Well, let me say this: I've got an old saying: If a bullfrog had wings, he wouldn't bump his butt when he jumped. So, <laughs> if O.J. Simpson hadn't gained two thousand yards, I would have been an NFL Player of the Year again. <laughs> so, I had to be, I had to be happy with the fact that I was a bullfrog. Well, well, you're in a better state, state now than right. he is. And he doesn't have that trophy anymore right. either. So you got to look at the bright side. <laughs> um, you know, 
<laughs> you look, at, and again, we're speaking with Roman Gabriel. Over the course of your career, you know, we mentioned the Open. You had a winning record of 86 and 64 and 7. You look at your body of work, and like I mentioned, you're Cam Newton before Cam Newton was even born. You're probably the first large quarterback in NFL history. At that time, you were 6'4", 235 pounds. You rank among the NFL's all-time leaders with 29,444 yards passing. So looking at that, and I did the research, that's more passing yards than Hall of Famers Len Dawson, Terry Bradshaw, Ken Stabler, Joe Namath, George Blanda, Bobby Lane, Bob Greasy, Bart Starr, Norm Van Brocklin, Otto Graham, Roger Staubach, and Sammy Baugh. You passed for 201 touchdowns, and again I looked it up, which is more than Hall of Famers Bobby Lane, Ken Stabler, Bob Greasy, Sam Ball, Otto uh, Graham, Norm Van Brocklin, Joe Namath, Troy Aikman, Roger Staubach, and Sid Luckman. You have a better touchdown-to-interception ratio, 1.34, than Hall of Famers Fran Tarkenton, John Unitas, and Bart Starr. You don't only do that with your arm, you also rush for 1,304 yards, 30 touchdowns, which is only six fewer than Michael Vick, five less than Randall Cunningham, and one more than Donovan McNabb. So the big question, are you surprised or maybe even angry that you're not in the NFL Hall of Fame? Well, you know, just like the things you brought up, so uh, people like yourself and, and my friends and and other people out there, they they know how I played the game. I gave it everything I had. So I'm not angry. I just think it's because I'm a Filipino. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, now. Think, right. think about it. There's never been another Filipino quarterback yet. <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah, now, but, uh, and some, but some, I'm not angry, though, AJ. So some things say you were the first Asian in the NFL. Is that That's true? right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now, you know, our show goes along with the chat room. Some people don't know how to use the chat room. So I just got a text message. On your phone. On your watch. On my watch. All right. Sure? Yeah. From, from um, one of our viewers in Chicago, uh, Rich. And he wanted to know, and he might be incorrect. I know you did have, you know, lots of TV appearances. He wanted to know if you were on I Dream of Jeannie. And if you were, was Barbara Eden as beautiful in person as she was on TV? I don't remember you being on that. I remember you being on the Brady Bunch. No, you know why he thinks I was on that? Because they had a, one, of the sh- one of the shows, they panned in, and Jack Snow had just got a touchdown pass from me. Okay. So, but, but I wasn't on it. Yeah, you were on the Brady Bunch, though, right? That I, I was on uh, Wonder Woman. Oh, man, what's she tough? <laughs> all right, so, Linda, all right, but you, so Bobby and Linda Card are not bad. You have two separate Raymond Burr shows. You run both Perry Mason and, and, uh, and Ironside. Ironside which is, oh, Ironside? Yeah. <laughs> Gilligan's Island? <laughs> Sheriff Lobo? Claude Akins? So, so, yeah. so, so, so you know, how can you how can you be angry? Right. A good old country Filipino Irish boy coming right. from North Carolina right. and being on Gilligan's yeah. Island, right? right. It doesn't Gilligan's get better Hollywood. than that. <laughs> so, so you know, so you also after finishing career in football and doing some acting, you got involved in baseball. Right. So how do you end up being involved, basically as an executive for a minor league baseball team? I love team? that. Well, an old friend of mine who who used to run probably one of the largest uh, market sports marketing agencies in the state of Carolinas. A guy named Max Mulliman, Mulliman Sports. Uh, when I was, I was, co- I retired, and I was contacted by Max. He said, "Look, there's a gentleman here named George Chen who owns Rutledge Education, and he wants to get involved in the NBA." So I moved back, and they I, they utilized me to go and talk to people about buying season tickets. And then Mr. Chen decided he wanted to own baseball, so he bought the uh, Charlotte Knights and the Gastonia Rangers, and. 
I had a little history in baseball since I played, and, and I knew some, like Tug McGraw and some of the Phillies, and what I didn't know I called and found out. And so they made me president of the two baseball teams. It, again, that was probably two of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life because minor league baseball players don't make SWAT. There were, there were a number of for future good players, players that yeah. ran through that system. Do you remember some of the guys that made it to the pros, one of which is uh, a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah, we had uh, – our manager was one of the great, great guys, too, a guy named Greg Biagini. Right. Our starting rotation my first year in uh, Charlotte with the Charlotte Knights was uh, Kurt Schilling, who, what, what you, he's a Hall of Famer, isn't he? No, no, not yet. And, and it's close. It's getting close. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's not Filipino. That's not the reason right. why he's right. not in. But there are other issues. <laughs> well, maybe he should be. <laughs> yeah. right. Then we had we had Pete Harnish, who was who, who was a starter. Cincinnati Red and former New York yeah. Met from Long Island. And, and as well. Greg Olson. Greg Olson, good Phillies pitcher and Orioles. Yeah. And then and then when we went in the playoffs, they took all three of our pitchers, so we didn't go very far. <laughs> You also had Jim Tomey. You yeah. had um, Pudge Rodriguez as oh, well. Oh, yeah, so. when we moved, yeah, we, when we came to Cleveland. Good stuff. Yeah. And we, we, you, you kind of just ba- you know, glossed over the fact that you had some you know, interaction with baseball. I mean, it should be noted you were the cleanup hitter for, for your college team and led the team in home runs and RBIs, right? That was back when you played 21 games. I think I had six home runs. And I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we only played about 21 games, though. Uh, in closing, of all the things you've done in your life in sports, what's the one thing that stands out that you're the most proud of? Uh, being associated with the Eagles Fly for Leukemia. Uh, when our owner, Leonard Toast, decided he wanted to give back, he called me in and, and I sort of became the captain. And then we passed the hat in the Eagles game and raised $850,000. And then, as you're probably well aware, uh, McDonald's came aboard, and the, and the green shakes they used to sell, all that money went to fund the wing on Children's Hospital for Leukemia. I think of all the things I've been involved in, and and maybe, too, the, when I retired, my high school friends and I, we started a, a charity in my hometown of Wilmington, which we ran for 30 years, that we supported uh, friends of ours that had multiple sclerosis and raised scholarships for our high, high school. Those two things would probably be the greatest humanitarian things I've done. Roman, there's no doubt in my mind that you belong in the NFL Hall of Fame. I remember watching those Ram teams. You know, you were you were the West Coast version of our Joe Willie Namath. You know, just uh, the way you went about your business, and, and I love those days in the NFL and, and the quarterbacks. And you obviously were one of the best. So we really appreciate you taking time and, and spending it with us this Sunday evening. Well, I appreciate the fact that you guys didn't forget this old body, even though it creaks a little bit when it moves. <laughs> but, then, but then you talk about one of the greats who played in pain, Joe Willie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you talk about pain. I wonder how his pain is. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> he is you know, two of my favorites. So thank you so much, Roman. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys. Anytime. Just don't wait so long. <laughs> you, you got it. Roman Gabriel, one of the NFL's great quarterbacks.